Hey, I'm glad you're here at Kavanaugh Church today. Welcome to the Lord's house and uh, now to the preaching of his word. I, I, I just can't get over it, <laughs> man. I'm telling you, I cannot get over Easter. Huh? I can't get over the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In fact, I told the first service, I've been living off the fumes of Easter all week long. Yeah? And, and here's the deal, I don't want to get over it. I don't want to get over the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead and has given us a living hope and has provided for us salvation. Amen? I just can't get over that. Neither could Peter. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, on Wednesday night, I preached from verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1, and I began my message just like I'm beginning this one. Peter couldn't get over Easter, and so he's giving praise to God for raising Jesus from the dead and for the salvation that it provides for our souls. In fact, in these verses, Peter is holding up salvation like it is this fine jewel, turning it in the light so that we can see all of its different facets and its beauty. He tells us in verse 9, For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. It is this salvation that is gripping Peter and causing him to pen these words. Let me start in verse number 3. I'll read 3 and 4 and then skip down to verse 13. Peter begins by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, and it's kept in heaven for you. <laughs> Hallelujah! I mean, that is something to praise the Lord for. And then skip down to verse 13. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And I've just got to read verse 15 for you as well. He said, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because God is holy. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And Lord, as I try to speak this word on the outside, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak it right into our souls. Lord, help us to be conformed to the word today. For those who need to be saved, I pray that they would receive this gift of salvation. And dear Lord, for the rest of us, I pray that it would be a time of learning and a time where we grow closer to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this whole passage is about God's great mercy, raising Jesus Christ up from the dead and giving us a living hope. He calls it a new birth. It's salvation. And let me just take a moment and remind you of some things from Scripture about the salvation that comes to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. They are given to us in these next few verses that, that Peter wrote. Really, there are four agents in the salvation story. And it begins in verse number 10. When Peter writes about Old Testament prophets 
investigating the story of salvation. He says in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstance to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So what Peter is saying is this. Those prophets in the Old Testament, and we're talking specifically about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and all the rest of them, they were prophets for their day and their time. They prophesied God's message for the people of their day. But their prophecies also contained things that were to come hundreds of years later. They prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, that Jesus would come and that he would die for the salvation of the world. In the Old Testament, there are literally hundreds of references and prophecies to the coming of the Messiah. Now, the prophets didn't always understand exactly what these prophecies meant. That's why Peter says in verse 10, they searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. Now, let me try to explain it to you the best way I understand it. These, these prophets in the Old Testament were trying to put together pieces of a jigsaw puzzle without having the benefit of the picture on the top of the box. Isn't that the way you do jigsaw puzzles? You, know, you look at the picture and, and then you go that way. They didn't have the, the, the picture on the top of the box. Well, you might say, well, how in the world did these prophets come up with all of these prophecies about the coming Messiah? That's my second little point here. The, the Old Testament prophets investigated it, but number two, it was the Holy Spirit of God who inspired it. Okay? Verse number 11 they were, these prophets, were trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which, here it is, the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So, very clear teaching that the Holy Spirit of God inspired these prophets to write down what they wrote in the Old Testament. And I think this is a really good time for me to do one of these quick timeouts and, and remind you of something. We need to be reminded of this because it is an essential part of our faith. In any theology course that you take, systematic theology, they start with the inspired Word of God. So let me just say to you and declare to you that we believe, as the Kavanaugh Free Will Baptist Church, that this book is the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. We believe, we believe all of it. We, we don't think you can just pick and choose. We believe the whole book is inspired. It's all God-breathed, okay? God spoke it. There it is, okay? It's all inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. You got that? In fact, Free Will Baptists, for the most part, believe in the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. That's what I believe, 
Hope you believe it too. What does that mean? It means this, that God so moved on the minds of human authors of Scripture so as to guide them to the exact words selected, protecting them from all error and omission in their writings, yet allowing them to retain their own personality through their writings. That means that when Jeremiah wrote, his writings are different than Isaiah's writing. Why? Because they had different personalities. That's why Matthew's writings are different than John's writing. But they're all inspired. It was all inspired by God. God moved on their minds. God inspired that passage of Scripture. And guys, let me tell you, it is imperative in a changing world that we believe in the inspiration of Scripture. That this is God's Word. Every bit of it. And Peter is affirming that. These Old Testament prophets wrote of the coming Messiah, and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Number three, not only did the Old Testament prophets investigate it and the Holy Spirit inspire it, but number three, the apostles preached the message of salvation. Verse 12. It was revealed to them, that is the Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit who was sent from heaven. Okay? So you're following the, the train here. Okay? The Old Testament prophets, they investigated it. The Holy Spirit, he inspired it. And then these apostles of the New Testament, they actually saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so they're putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together, and they are now the ones who are the first preachers of the message of salvation. They preached it. And Peter is saying, the apostles preached it, and you have believed it. Are you following that? So I think it's a good time for me just to stop and ask you, who was it, who was it in your life that first proclaimed the good news to you? Who was it in your life that told you about salvation? Maybe it was a parent, a mom or a dad. Maybe it was a preacher, or maybe it was a Sunday school teacher, or maybe it was just a friend. Well, whoever it was that proclaimed the good news to you, that good news was told to them by somebody else. And it was told to them by somebody else, by somebody else, by somebody else, all the way back to the apostles. Do you see what I'm saying? This is a chain. It's a human chain. One person told another person who told somebody else, who told someone else, who told you. And your life was transformed. And so my message to you right now with this particular point is, don't you dare break the chain. Eh? I mean, the gospel has been shared with you by someone else. You share it with someone else. So here we're learning about salvation. The Old Testament prophets investigated it. The Holy Spirit inspired it. The apostles preached it. But one more thing, angels explored it. Peter says in verse 12, Even angels long to look into these things. Now that's pretty amazing to me. The picture here is of someone bending over, stooping down so that they can see it better. And he's saying that's what angels do when it comes to salvation. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament prophets 
put the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together, but they never saw the complete picture. The apostles discovered it when Christ was resurrected from the dead. And now we have the Word of God, the complete Bible, and we can put this whole message of salvation together. And while all of this is going on, the angels are looking over the balcony of heaven, marveling at the salvation God has provided for us. That's epic, man. That's a great, great, great story. But that's what the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 1 are all about. Our great salvation. I think that's why Peter started in verse 3. Praise be to God. <laughs> Praise the Lord for providing salvation. But you're sitting there and I can just tell by the look on your face you're saying, so what? <laughs> so what? Well, the next verse shows us the so What? The verse begins, verse 13, with the word therefore. Therefore, Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, you know if you have a cell phone, there is an app for everything. Don't you know that? I mean, you're, you're feeling hungry right now, and you know you can download an app that will order a pizza for you. And then you can download another app that's going to give you a map to go pick up the pizza. You know, there's, there's apps for everything, right? I've lost some of you. Come on, come on, kids, let's get back together again. There are apps for everything, right? That's, that's where it all started right there, Jason. God is the one who invented the application. And there is an app for what we have just talked about. There's an application that comes from this tremendous explanation of our salvation. So, how then do we live out this great salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ? That's the real question. God has provided a living hope, a great salvation. How then should we live because of this salvation? Well, there are two key phrases or commands. One of them is found in verse 13. It says, set your hope. The other is in verse 15. It says, be holy. So there are two main points of application of all that we know concerning God's great salvation. And I can sum them up in those two words, hope and holiness. How then should we live? Well, number one, we need to live with an attitude of hope. And can I tell you, it's something the world doesn't have, doesn't know about. They're longing for it. They want it, but they ain't got it. An attitude of hope. He says in verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Here it is. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So church, as a believer, as someone who has experienced God's great salvation, we have a hope. And our hope has a name. It's Jesus. 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 He's our hope. Not only for this life, but the life to come. He is our hope now and forever. The world doesn't have that hope, but we do. So based on this great salvation, how are we to live? It is with an attitude of hope.
Are you? Come on. Man. I don't. Some of you left your hope in the car this morning. <laughs> Number two, we should live with a lifestyle of holiness. He really picks up on this in verse number 13 when he talks about, uh, when he talks about being self-controlled. But specifically in verse 15, here's what he says. But just as he, God, who called you is holy, so be holy in everything you do. Now, w- w- one, of the, uh, one of the discoveries we've made in our praise series is that God has many characteristics or attributes. One of those attributes is that he's holy. Now, we don't talk too much about the holiness of God, but I think we ought to. Because, I mean, we know God is grace, but never in the Bible does it say God is grace, grace, grace. We know that God has mercy, but it never says God is mercy, 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 does it? We know that God is love, but it never says God is love, love, love. But we have discovered on numerous occasions the angels in heaven say this about God. He is He's holy. He's holy, holy, holy. And you know what? We are called to be his holy people. In fact, if if, if you want to get specific about it, the Bible says without holiness, no one will see God. It's pretty important then that we live a lifestyle of holiness. Amen? So let's talk about this attitude of hope and this lifestyle of holiness. That's what salvation brings, an attitude of hope, a lifestyle of holiness. So how do we have it, and how can we live it? How can we flesh those two things out? How can we live every day with hope? How can we live every day a holy life in a world that is not holy? Well, verse number 13 gives us two key ingredients. Here are the two ways you do it in living with hope and holiness. Verse 13, therefore... Prepare your minds for action and be self-controlled. So there are the two things. And it all starts with your brain, your thinking, your mind. He says, verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Boy, I love that. Prepare your mind. The word prepare is a word that was used to describe the tightening of a belt or the cinching of a rope. I can tell you're not getting it. The tightening of a belt, the cinching of a rope. How many of y'all have ever ridden a bull? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Betty, there you I knew I knew Miss Betty had ridden a bull before. How, how many of you have anybody else ridden a bull? A real bull. A real bull. Anyway, it's, it's, there's more. Yeah, I tell that funny story up there in the balcony. Yeah, there, there was one person first service. There, there's braver people in the second service that, or maybe they're just smarter in the first service. I don't know, man. I can. I always, Jason. I always wanted to ride a bull when I was growing. I grew up in Midland, Texas, out in the country, and there was a part of me that always kind of wanted to ride that bull. But thank God, I never got on one. Uh, that, that, when I was a kid, it was long before mechanical bulls. John, Johnny Miller's all into mechanical bulls. We had one at Roundup Day. And, and uh, anyway, I, that's another story. But anyway, back when I was a kid, we did have uh, barrels. Your barrel? Okay. That, that was a cheap man's mechanical bull. There would be four posts, 
and a barrel suspended with either springs or chains or ropes, and then another rope that somebody was yanking on, and you would sit on the barrel, and it would act like you were on a bull. I rode a barrel before, but I've never ridden a real bull, but they, it, it, it really does fascinate me. I mean, really. And just to let you in on the uh, private life of Will and Angie, sometimes when, when the kids are gone and, and, uh, and we're just sitting there, we'll watch bull riding. We do. We watch bull riding on TV. And, uh, and here's what we say. I mean, we say it a hundred times in a 30-minute program of bull riding. We'll say, that's crazy. That's crazy. Because, I mean, you're, you're on this 1,500-pound, some of them are 1,900-pound animals, and they're mad. Snot's coming out their nose and mouth. They're trying to kill you. And, and the only thing that is keeping you on that bull is called a bull rope. They wrap the rope around the, the bull, the belly of the bull, and there's a slot you put your hand in, and then you, then you crank that thing down, and I've seen them pound their, you know, have you seen them do that? They're pounding that thing in. The real crazy ones have what is called a suicide grip. Yeah, 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 y'all bull riders, you, I'm talking your lingo now. And, and even if the bull bucks you off, you're, you're still holding on because of the suicide grip. It's crazy. I'm, I, I've lost you, but I got a, I got a video of. Okay. Watch him. Watch him right here. Watch him. Watch him. Watch him. Pounding it. See? He's pounding it. Suicide grip. I knew it right there. He's pounding it. Suicide grip. He's ready. He's ready. He's crazy. That's what he is. Here, open her up. Let's go. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh no. Oh no. Boom. Oh no. The clown shoe came off. The cowboy's boot is about to come off. There it is. It came off. Oh my lens. Oh, lady, get out of the way. Lady. Would you move? Oh my lens. Oh, he's still going. Oh, he finally got off. Oh. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, those guys are only trying to ride eight seconds. You think, that ain't no big deal. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? I was, first service, I was telling about that funeral I preached a few years ago. People play the craziest songs at funerals. Y'all know that? And so I was doing this funeral, and uh, they, they cranked this song on. It's an old Tim McGraw country song. Live like you is dying. I do too, man. It's an awesome song. It's about this guy in his 40s. He goes to the doctor. Doctor tells him he's, he's dying. So, he do, you know, he, th he thinks about it. What am I going to do? And then somebody says, what did you do? He said, well, I just, I live like I was dying. I went skydiving. I went rocky mountain climbing. I went, listen, listen. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I'm, sta I'm standing there, I'm standing there with my funeral message, and I'm just tapping my toe, man. <laughs> it really is pretty good, man. You know, there's a message there. We need to live like we were dying. Point, the point I'm making is this. That guy in that video, he had the suicide grip. What did he do? He prepared. 
He shouldn't have prepared so well. <laughs> now, Peter wasn't thinking about bull riders. I'll tell you what Peter was thinking about when he wrote this. He was thinking about a soldier. In Peter's day, soldiers wore leather belts into battle. They would cinch up their leather belt. And then they would take their long robes and tuck their robes into their belt so that they could move around in battle and do hand-to-hand combat. So if you saw a soldier who had girded up his robe into his belt, you knew that this guy was ready for battle. He was prepared for a life and death combat. Now my point is this. If you are going to set your hope fully on the future that God has for you, and if you are going to live the holy life that God has called you to live, you need to prepare yourself. And the way you prepare yourself, Peter says, is through your mind. Prepare your mind for action. What does he mean by that? He says, you have to change the way you think. Because the battle is in the brain. And it all starts right here. So you change the way you think. That's the power of God into salvation. You change the way you think. Can I, let me say it like this. Salvation is a mind-altering experience. God changes your heart, but He also changes your mind. And you have to think differently. Our minds need to change. And guys, let me tell you, you you got to get your mind ready to think correctly. Because your entire life, you have been taught by the world to think the way the world thinks. That's the wrong way to think. You've got to think the way God thinks. Just a couple of verses on this. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed, here it is, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is. But where does it start? Right here in your mind. Ephesians 4, 17, Paul said, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, that is, as the world does. In the futility of your thinking, you're thinking wrong. You need to start thinking right. How do we think? Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, if there is any excellency or anything praiseworthy in it, think about these things. That's why, that's why every morning when I get up, I read my Bible and I pray. And here's my prayer. Not, I'm not going to tell you specifically, but I start praying. And one of the first things that I pray is, Lord, I present my body as a living sacrifice to you today. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would take, and here's the first thing I say, I pray that you would take my mind. And Lord, help me to think on the things of God today. I don't want to think the way the world thinks. I want to think the way God thinks. So, Lord, I'm giving you my mind. Help me to think right. And then I go on and I give him my eyes that I see the world as he sees the world. I give him my ears that I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. I give him my mouth. Lord, help me to speak good things today. Help me not to tear people down but to build them up. Lord, I give you my hands. I give you my feet. I give you my heart. 
I give you my will. I give you my emotions. And then a few weeks ago, I added this. Lord, I give you my calendar. And Lord, I give you my checkbook. Because I've realized that, you know what? I can't present my body on the altar as a living sacrifice if I'm holding on to my time and my money without giving it to God. And Peter is saying here, if you want to live with this attitude of hope and you want to live a holy life, it all begins by preparing your brain, your mind, the way you think. Man, you need to cinch it up and get ready for action because when you step out the door, you're in the real world and you need to be thinking God things, not world things. Number two. Not only do we need to prepare our minds, but secondly, we need to have self-control. Verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be what? Self-controlled. Self-controlled means being sober. (laughs) Not intoxicated. It means being well-balanced, not wobbly from intoxication. Have you ever been driving down a road or the interstate and see a police officer or a state trooper who's making somebody walk the line? They got, they got them outside the car, and they're having to walk the line, whether it's the yellow line or the white line. I tell you, I have a hard time walking the line just normal. Do you, you know, I don't have the greatest balance. I always take exit 14 down here because that's the way to my house. And I can't tell you the number of times I've seen a, a, a state trooper there checking people. You know, and one night I took the exit and uh, traffic was backed up all the way to the up on the interstate. And they had the reason why they had this guy out there. He was drunk as a skunk, man. They had him walking the line and, you know, he was he was doing he was doing this business all over the place. He was as wobbly as he could be. He had absolutely no self-control. Why? Because the alcohol had control of him. And I thought to myself, that, that guy's crazy. And then I thought, no, you know what? That guy makes me mad. It makes me mad that he's drunk as a skunk and he's out there driving. He could kill all of us. Anyway, I thought that would get a bigger amen than that. But anyway, it, he, he wasn't well balanced. To be self-controlled means that I have taken control of my life and given that over to the Lord and my priorities. I am not living an out-of-control life. My life is in control. You know what? I, I know a lot of people, a lot of believers who live out-of-control lives. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, their spending is out-of-control. See, now you're meddling. Their eating is out of control. Now I'm really meddling. Their drinking is out of control. Their sexual life is out of control. I know a lot of Christians whose tongue is out of control. And it shows because they have no hope, no vision of the transformation that God has in mind for them. So, to be able to set my hope fully on the grace of God that will be given to me when Jesus Christ returns... I must prepare my mind, and I need to be self-controlled. You got it? I mean, are you with me? If you followed me along this trail, let me, let me try to 
tie things together with this story. And, and I've told you part of this story before, but uh, I'll, I'll put a different twist or application on it. Uh, I grew up, of course, in Midland, Texas, up through the eighth grade. Eighth grade, we moved to Abilene, Texas. We lived in Abilene for a couple of years, then we moved to Lubbock. Of, of all my childhood, I think the hardest time was probably Abilene. Those two years we spent in Abilene were kind of tough on me. And it, it all started the day that I went to school there, the first day of school. It was just, it wasn't a good experience. We moved in November. So, I mean, the semester was almost at an end, okay? And here I was, this new eighth grader coming into this new junior high. And, and let me, before I tell you the story, let me back up and tell you. When I, I grew up in Midland, I went to the same elementary school my whole life, and uh, I had good friends, good buddies. Uh, there were there, there's six of us guys that hung out together, and we played football together and basketball together. And, and I, you know, I'm not bragging, but I, I was cool. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm not bragging, but I was, I was cool in elementary school, first year junior high. I was, you know, I was the running back on the football team, played point guard and basketball, even though I was a horrible basketball player. I was, I was cool. Had cool friends. In fact, we were so cool tell you this story we were so cool that we didn't have cheerleaders in the sixth grade so we decided we wanted cheerleaders the six of us and so one day after school we had cheerleader tryouts <laughs> the six of us and I'll never forget we was out of there on the on the football field and we had we were all sitting there and we had all these girls that wanted to be cheerleaders they they gave us they gave the six of us a nickname that day and I hate to I didn't say this first service I ought not say it right now but then don't yeah <laughs> I never listened to her until afterwards, and then they, they called us the Sexy Six. I was in the sixth grade. Can I, let me tell you, can I tell you I didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> I, did, I, I didn't know what it meant. But anyway, we had cheerleader tryouts, and, and uh, what we did, we picked the prettiest girls. It didn't matter if they could cheer or not. We just... We, Kathy McFarland, Prissy Foster, Susie Alexander, uh, Patty Adams. I can remember them, man. We didn't, we didn't pick the girl that lived across the street from me, and I'll tell you what, I got in trouble after that. Anyway, my point is, in Midland, I was in the cool group. I was cool. They didn't know that about me in Abilene. So I go to the eighth grade, first day of class in November. They, the, they took the office, brought me into my new classroom, and they, I sat down at a desk, and class hadn't started. The teacher, I don't even know if the teacher was in there. Oh, it's horrible, man. This, this really pretty little girl was sitting right in front of me, and she turned around. I can still see her face. She had glasses, long hair. She was chewing gum. She was smacking on her gum. <laughs> she said, so, what's your name? I said, my name is Will. And she turned around and announced to the whole class, his name is Will. <laughs> and then she turned back around. So, and here was the question. Are you a roper or a doper? That was the question she asked me. Again, to be honest with you, I, I, knew, I had no idea what she was talking about. I, did, I had no idea. And so I had to ask her, what do you mean? She said, well, if you're a roper, you chew tobacco and dip snuff. If you're a doper, you smoke dope. 
I went to church four times a week. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, didn't do, I didn't do any of that stuff. And so I just, I just, I said, I don't do any of that. And she turned back around and in a very loud voice announced to the entire class, He's a nerd! (laughs) So, like in one day, I went from being cool to being a nerd. Can you see what it's done to me? What, what, I realized, what I realized that in that school, they classified everybody in one of two categories, really three. You are a roper, doper, or a nerd. And I fell into that third category. But, but what I began to realize that day was that there, were really, there really were different groups of people in the school. For example, there, there were some, some good kids who, who you know, really cared about school. They really worked hard. They actually went to the library. They actually did their homework. Why? Because to them, high school wasn't the end. High school was simply a springboard for something else. They had a vision of going to college. And not only that, they had already picked out a profession that they wanted to pursue in life. And so high school meant something to them. And and they weren't going to risk their future in a college or in a career by doing dumb things. That's the way they live their life. On the other hand, there were some other classmates who they really never intended to go anywhere or do anything. And for whatever reason, they they had no intention of, of, of pursuing anything after high school. And you know what? That was reflected in the way that they lived life every day. They they would come to school drunk. Between classes, they would go out and between the butler buildings, they would light up and they would smoke dope. And who cares if they got in trouble? They didn't care because the absolute worst thing that could happen to them was that they would be kicked out of school. (laughs) And they didn't want to be there anyway. So what was the big deal? You know, guys, listen to me. This, This is the best way that I really know how to describe people today. There are some people not acting like they're headed anywhere special. They've just kind of settled for for getting through this life as painlessly as possible. They have no vision of God's grace in their life. They have no hope for heaven. They can't even begin to talk about the glorious change that can come into a person's life through salvation. And because their hope is Null and void, they have no need to change the way that they think or the way that they live, nor do they have any self-discipline. After all, what is the use if we're not really going anywhere special? You with me? The point of all this is to tell you there's more than just right now. There's more than right now. There is eternity. And you need to prepare for eternity. You need to act like you're headed somewhere special. 
in the way you think and in the way you live. Martin Luther was right when he said, there are only two days on my calendar that really matter, today and that day. Today and that day, the day Jesus comes back. So you know what here, here's what it boils down to. You're saved, you're lost. Those are the two categories of people, saved and lost. Born again, redeemed, lost, dead in your trespasses and sins. And if you are saved, if you are born again, you need to be praising God for the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You need to praise God for the salvation that he's given to you. And based on that salvation, this is what you need to do. You need to live with an attitude of hope. And you need to live with a lifestyle of holiness. And church, I'm calling you to that today. You know what? I'm calling you to do that. I'm calling you out today. Live with hope. Don't live like the rest of this world. Live a holy life. You can do it. You can do it. You don't have to sin. God can, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Live a holy life. And right here we've learned the keys to doing that. You prepare your mind for action. You think differently. You think differently. And then you exercise just a little bit of self-control. No, some of you need to exercise a whole lot of self-control. And how do we do that? We give him everything. We lay it all 